Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. Today, I have a very special guest here. I am joined by Ya Ade, who runs the Instagram account Decolonize the Art World. And she is here to talk to us about this platform and her work as an art historian. Ya, it's so good to have you here. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, so my name is Yade, and I'm a Ghanaian-British writer, artist, and curator. I'm currently based in Accra, where um, I've worked with a few galleries. Most of my work is around power, trying to understand it, and that's partly what informed Decolonize the Art World, which I describe as an online anti-colonial art theory school. I've been running that Instagram account and also Arena account for the past month. Yeah, so that's a bit about me. I, I just love the idea of framing a platform or an Instagram account like as a specific school mm-hmm. because I feel like these platforms are such valuable forms of education and such available forms of education for people. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is in itself kind of an approach to how we can create, you know, new art schools and new ways of educating people uh, moving forward by using things like Instagram and using these technologies. Was that kind of part of the concept behind Decolonize the Art World? Or did it just kind of start as an Instagram profile and then now it's kind of growing into more of a specific educational platform? Yes. So the origin of it was quite reactionary in terms of this was um, the week that George Floyd had been murdered and there were protests and I was feeling very, very disheartened and and quite angry and particularly pivoting that to how cultural institutions continue to uphold these beliefs and these structures that are also part of white supremacy. I was particularly angered with how galleries and museums who make profit, or even if that is a sort of cultural capital off of exhibiting Black artists' works, but in time like this were completely silent. And so I had made the account initially to call out specific galleries and to, it, it was it was, it was was very reactionary, it was sort of in the, at the middle of the night, like before 4am, being, just having 
a lot of emotions, but just generally, I think the kind of person I am, but also as a, as an, an approach, it shifted from being reactionary to more regenerative as well. Actually, reaction is also generative, but mm-hmm. more so that I, I stopped maybe three in three days into running the account, focusing on what the art world as we know it was doing or fails to do, and more so how we can change, turn our, our gaze from what else exists. Because I... I think also for my own spirit as well, that was more sustainable um, in terms of like, you know, I, I could only run on hurt for so long, mm-hmm. but also wanting to draw attention to other possibilities and really start to begin the work of decentralizing the museum, even in our minds and what else that we give we give value to. And with Instagram, framing the Instagram as an art school, part of like decentralizing and divesting our power from these institutions that are embedded in white supremacy and and need complete overhaul to change. I've also had a troubled relationship with academia and what is defined as study, what is defined as school. And interesting enough, particularly like studying African art history in, I went to school in Boston, um, so studying African art history in Massachusetts, in the United States, mm-hmm. um, is there's this sort of like a a glitch or like a disconnect. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there are these very real power dynamics that make me studying African art history in an institution in the United States, giving me more capital and access and resource than if I was studying it, let's say, in Accra where like you know in the context of it so going back to what kind of knowledge is validated what is even understood as knowledge and right now I'm not in in school and I I learn the most through conversations with people through social media and that has always been the case but now that's just like the primary way and that's part of why I'm framing this Instagram account um, and the arena as an art school because to me that's sort of the work that it's doing and I hope for it to more clearly do. I love that. I I at least know personally as someone who has spent a lot of my life in academia, like I've just been thinking about a lot of the ways in which academia is, is a really hierarchical system it's very much you know steeped in white supremacy and like there's just like so many problems with the way academia operates and in theory it's such a beautiful thing right like it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be this place where we all get to go and learn and like I love it I love the idea of it but um <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily work out that way in action especially under a capitalist system where it's become this for-profit thing. So yes, I'm like just so stoked on ideas of how we can bring all of this knowledge how anyone can bring knowledge to people using platforms and means that 
are accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. I remember coming across your profile. It must have been like right after you made it, like it was within the first few days and just being so excited by the concept. And then um, I know we kind of previously talked about this um, when you and I chatted before. I noticed that like you've been using a lot of memes too. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about use of memes and how they are both like a valuable art form, but they're also a valuable educational tool. Can you speak to why you like to use memes in this context? Yes. Well, first of all, I love memes. And I, I think, you know, I grew up on the internet like many other people my age. And I love what, what memes can can do and how like you know you see this image and then you you sort of understand it there's this like meaning that like if, if you know you know and and also existing in different parts of the internet um like existing in i would say black british diaspora twitter and so sort of Ghanaian twitter and um like queer like all these different like parts of the internet and the different languages, also the different sort of meme languages, I've always been interested in in memes as form of communication and particularly using them for anti-colonial art theory. I think also in my experience of art history as sort of an almost archaic, no, not almost archaic sort of discipline and sort of not wanting to also make room for the self or make room for other ways of being and other forms of knowledge, I feel like memes in this way intervene in that because they're also, memes also say a lot about the person who made them. They're not like neutral and they also bring in humor as well. So now you're, you're inviting play with learning, which is not something that even the term discipline, like this is your discipline in in academia, like that's not something that exists side by side. And then the nature of Instagram as well and Instagram algorithms and what get attention, I noticed very early on that the memes, the memes would travel, the memes could travel further mm-hmm. and bring people in. And I would usually write the the caption. The caption would be like an, a mini essay, but the, the memes would sort of be what brought people in and then it was also an exercise for myself to think of how to then break down the theory into a meme so even if someone wasn't to read the caption there is this takeaway definitely yeah i can relate to that because we definitely bring people into our uh instagram platform via memes a lot too for whatever reason posting a meme ups your follower count usually like really fast. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. Like they're a language. They're very much how people from the younger generations like communicate. And, and I love, I love what you said. I've literally never thought about this before, but in bringing up the term discipline, your course of study or whatever is like a discipline. Yeah. That's such an interesting thing to think about because there really is this like, I don't know, this like idea that, you know, if you're talking about complicated intellectual material or theoretical material or whatever, like that you have to be very serious for some reason. Being able to integrate humor with complex theory, like there's there's nothing better than that. Yeah. 
So can you tell us a little bit about some of the more specific ideas or issues that you've been starting to address and deconstruct using the Decolonize the Art World platform? Yes. I also first want to mention that also at, at this point, well, I've, so far, because this is new, I've, I've only just started collaborating with other people. But while I, I have founded Decolonize the Art World, there have been contributions by, I've had two contributions so far who've like sent in their memes and I'm not putting so much pressure on it, sort of letting it organically grow, but I do hope to invite and, and also take contributions from people. And that was particularly important with using Arena. So the Instagram hosts, the Instagram is kind of like a summary of everything, but on our website, which is hosted by Arena, which is like a collaborative research platform I kind of describe it as like a social media for how you're thinking or like what you're like engaging with so you can upload links on anything like videos a song an article and put it in a thread Mm -hmm. and then people can connect their own threads to it and I really love that and that's sort of where most of the work of decolonize the art world lives even before I post on Instagram I'll be like writing sort of mini essays and building syllabi on arena. I mentioned earlier sort of moving from a more from the initial hurt and and calling out and naming how the our world is to naming other our worlds that exist or all worlds that exist within the the our world that we know that start to amplify and draw attention to these other possibilities and that was very much aligned with this theory of Afro-presentism, which a friend and also someone I consider a, a teacher or like a, a co-learner, Nema Githeri, who is a guerrilla theorist, and she coined the term Afro-presentism, which is about focusing on the ways the future is being made now and the ways in which we are creating and building this world that we want to live in now. I've been getting more into that on the arena. People who are moving away from the idea of like, what will the future look like to, it actually already exists. And what we can do is like continue to amplify it. I've also been exploring more the idea of creative economies, which I hope to get more into. But this is particularly very new for me, someone who has just started working in the art world and particularly working in the art world in Accra and understanding how how does money work? How does power work? How is it that me in Accra is still very affected by our world decisions in the UK? Mm-hmm. And what, how does this like sort of mimic colonial colonial relationship to labor and distraction and how does that continue to show up even in in regards to arts, how African arts is commodified, how it is engaged with. I've been thinking a lot about and writing on the page about display, display as an exhibition technology and how that creates distance between, it kind of makes like a consumer and then the art is like an object. Mm -hmm. But more and more I've been realizing that is the same even for artists 
even in terms of how I'm thinking particularly of African art, how that is engaged with contemporary art. It's the same thing of, okay, I'm going to show this artist's work in this very white space in London and get a pat on the back, but I'm not actually engaging with it. It's sort of cultural capital Mm -hmm. and also financial capital because it's also being sold. So that's, that's like a much larger thread that I'm trying to build and understand and have been taking contributions on and creating a set of bus about on arena. I'm very excited to see how that continues to come together because it's definitely, I mean, my first instinct when you were just talking about it is that that system that like setup of how art is often displayed and and then when it's thought of as this like yeah form of capital it just really kind of strips art of its humanity in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and obviously that's going to lead to a whole host of other problems and means that you know you're engaged in some kind of system that is valuing capital over humanity. So like, yeah, there's there's just huge issues with the very basic ways in which like the art world operates. And it speaks to the delineation of the super rich, powerful art world Mm -hmm. and like everyone else and why so many people feel like they can't even engage with art in the art world, which is a very common thing. There's been this false idea created around art when really it's just this fundamental human activity. Like humans make art, all humans create things and make art. And like, that's what makes it so interesting and beautiful. But then we turned it into this like hierarchical structure and you can see it in every little tiny thing, including, yeah, the way that art's presented in a gallery space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and for that reason, I've been really, more and more I've, I've began to reframe my thinking as okay what I'm actually talking about is the art industry and less like of the art world and also not even wanting to call it the art world because I don't want to say that this is it by calling it the the art world I feel like that also kind of gives it some kind of power or some like it it Mm -hmm, borders it mm -hmm. and so I've started to I've started to refer to it more as like the art industry what I'm really um trying to critique um, and move away from is the the global art industry and all of the mess that comes with that you're totally right about that I've never like fully thought about it but yeah the term art world does give it a lot of power similar to art industry we use the term art market a Mm. lot and I don't know if that fully like encompasses everything but pretty much every time I'm talking about the art market I'm specifically talking about just the ways in which yeah art has been turned into some kind of like consumerist capital yeah that that makes sense and I also feel like it's such a I try not to get overwhelmed by how much I don't know and how much like just how when I think of like the layers the layers and also the width of the art industry globally with the centers being these like sort of particular places of power white places of power Mm -hmm. that dictate like the the rest of the global art industry as well I'm just like wow this is just (laughs) 
so much. And even just like on how art, how cultural work is commodified and how cultural labor is understood. Um, I, I recently read an essay by, well, the name is Half Atlanta on Twitter. The first name is Devin. I can't remember the, their last name, though. They wrote a piece called Cultural Worker Not a Creative and how by using that term, they were putting themselves in a lineage specifically of artists and, and thinkers who were using culture to shift, specifically using culture for revolutionary means, using it to shift ideas. And I really identified with that, but I also identified with it because it named the labor of creativity, which I feel like is often obscured in the our world even with the term like creatives or artists and mm -hmm. it kind of makes you forget that it is at the end of the day also an industry and like artists are also laborers yes. and um curators are also laborers and it's work that is going into it and it's, it's profit that is being made of it and work and money that's being made off of it and it kind of stops you from being able to question it in the way that you would a more explicit industry because it supposedly is also to do with creativity, but mm -hmm. more and more I'm realizing how little creativity actually is a part of what we know as the art world. Yes, definitely, definitely. For whatever reason, quote unquote, artists, creatives are, you know, just supposed to be like doing the work for the love of it. Mm -hmm. And like, and you're supposed to just like be happy with that for some reason, even though it, it's work, it's energy expenditure, it's time, it's like you're giving your life. And especially if it's in service to an institution, that's definitely work. It can be really overwhelming because down to the words we use, yeah, like creative and artist are still very vague and mm -hmm. that allows for a lot of exploitation within the system, which uh, isn't cool. Going back to what you were saying earlier about your platform, what I find very just like exciting and inspiring is that you're saying how you're shifting away from just trying to critique certain institutions, even though, you know, that is part of the work and focusing more on the ways in which art is being created in different cultural contexts and different communities in different ways and kind of building that up. Mm -hmm. Just that idea is incredibly exciting and life-giving. Yeah. Definitely. And that's also because I feel as so that that work is being done or already. And in terms of like, there's so many great, so many great accounts, so many great art historians, writers, thinkers who do critique the institutions that we, we have. So I know like there is no lack of that, that I can, I can draw on, but I'd wanted to, to focus on the anti-colonial possibilities specifically because I also didn't want to run the risk because with institutional critique there is also a level of investment in the institution and which is what some institutions have been reverting to thinking okay so we're going to hire more black people we're going to hire more people of color and everything is going to be okay and and that's sort of where people are going to this I, I feel as though inclusion is is really just something that I just feel like that's just decades behind us. I feel like that's what my my ancestors were fighting for. I feel like now it's time to 
to start fighting for overhaul. Yeah, definitely. Because it's it's been a really, really long time that these institutions could hire more black people if they actually wanted to, if that actually was a priority. But it's not. In my mind, you can't hire people into a system that is inherently colonial and inherently racist and burden their like individual presence with with changing that. Mm-hmm. And especially when I'm thinking of museums like the British Museum, which has so much looted art in their collection. I don't even understand how hiring someone of that background can be understood as a, a as an equitable form of restoration mm-hmm. or reparations. Because you already the issue is that you have been profiting off of the labor and creativity from people who you had to enact or you upheld ideological violence against. And on top of that, you want more labor to make you look good. Yeah. And yeah. so it, just, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm more interested in, particularly with the conversation around repatriation, I don't feel like it's enough to just give this art back. But more importantly, how are you then going to pour into cultural industries, which you have also stolen from to then be able to take care of and the power to control our own narrative. And I feel like that's why I'm pushing more towards focusing on anti-colonial possibilities to make room for the eventual decentralization of these cultural institutions. Yeah, you can't just stop at the at the surface level. Just like, look, we, you know, we did this and we hired these individuals and and so so everything's good now. Like that shows an unwillingness to understand how deep these problems go. Mm-hmm. And I I get why that's scary for people like if you I don't know if you have a really like high up position at like an art museum and you built your life around this career choice I I get the impulse to try and protect that in some way but like we have to face the ways in which this system is just like failing so many people and that is often gonna mean having to revisit ideas or certain institutions that we once looked at with adoration Mm -hmm. there is i think that fear and there is also something that i i realized quite early on even in in school specifically but i see it play out in the industry as well how to sort of like placate you you can be made into like the exceptional so it's like an institution will make you the exceptional black the exceptional african the exceptional so you have all these white people saying okay you're incredible and you're like but i'm actually engaging with your work in a meaningful way because also there isn't that ability to but um also context to but making you exceptionalizing you so that then it's like you're more invested mm-hmm. in the institution and like sort of validating still still needing that validation so i really i really value this pivot to imagination i know i'm i'm really inspired by the so many so many people so many artists um thinkers writers instagram accounts that are shifting to a place of imagination and just being like, okay, that was not working. I'm never going to try and get into that <laughs> because it's very messy. That's a proven, a proven trap. There's a the whole 
lineage of, of African, African-American, Black literature that proves that it's a, a trap. But how then can we think of what else is? And I think for me, the, the hardest thing has also shifted, been shifting my personal value in terms of also aspiration. Like, I don't want to dream of being the director of the tape, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As a solution to, like, centuries-long systemic racism, what does that do? Not much. But how can I instead, even my own personal aspirations, dream of a world in which the Tate and the British Museum and the, these other museums decentralize? Yeah. It's, I, I don't even have to try and play the game or work within the system to be able to do what I want to do when I'm 40. I just can. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have to um, make work that is palatable to a Western art market uh, as an African artist so I can gain the resources to do what I want to do on the ground. I just am able to mm-hmm. because like my value is inherent. Yeah, that I definitely really value imagination and play also as a liberatory practice. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes of all time is an Albert Einstein quote and it's play is the highest form of research. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've always loved that concept. And I I just I love the idea of how like how everything really should be from that that space, that space of just freedom and play and joy. And like that's where you get to explore and that's where you get to like really express creativity is like in a, a space of play as opposed to a space of expectations that have been placed on you by other systems. Yeah. <laughs> like that's way more important to me than being some really important curator or director at a big museum. It's just way more important to the human spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. And if more and more people are doing that, then like our our institutions just have to change by the nature of how society works, how social structures work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like if people are living their joy and expressing themselves and feeling, yeah, joyful and free and safe, like then then these oppressive institutions have to they have to transform. There's no other option. Definitely. And it feels like such is daunting. It it can feel daunting, but I'm reminded that that like if you can dream it, it can it can be. Mm-hmm. And that by asking for something that doesn't feel possible, it then you know it it becomes very possible. So I'm I'm sure all the people who have been doing abolitionist work for decades mm-hmm. now and seeing abolition abolitionist thought entering the mainstream more and 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 becoming like starting to be practiced it's like what but and it's 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 like where did this come from but the more and more I read even sort of abolitionist texts I'm like wow people have been doing this work for ages been doing this work and you know people have been thinking this is impossible but now it is because there has been this sustained imagination Mm -hmm. and so while it does feel really daunting to think of a world in which these museums do not hold the power to make or break or like allocate resources, allocate capital or or validate. I know that it's possible because if it wasn't, there wouldn't be so many people dreaming of that at this at the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And everything that our society is right now at one point was thought of as impossible, you know? It's like we are in control of how things change. And the more and more people that can get together and use their energy and their brain power in a common goal of like creating something new, the more likely it is to happen. And yeah, exactly. It's also very much all because of people that, yeah, have been doing like abolitionist work for forever. That I feel like has been such an interesting thing just personally and to like watch with other people. It's like some of these big abolitionist ideas like defunding the police, like for so long in my brain and my mentality, I just like couldn't even grasp that concept. And then it just like clicked and it was like, why? Like that, that makes perfect sense, you know? And, Mm -hmm. And the reason it makes perfect sense is just like you said, because there have been people to do this work and and people have been like breaking down these ideas and making them so people who can't see this potential future can begin to see it. And the more people that can begin to see the future, the more likely we can shift into that space. But yeah, it totally takes someone to start that ball rolling. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see how fast these big ideas are seemingly clicking with some people. But yes, it's like incredibly important to remember that that's only happening because so many people have been working so hard for so long. Yeah. I'm a very hopeful, optimistic person. So I, and I'm kind of like an idealist. So I see, I have this vision of a very like beautiful future, but like I wouldn't have that vision if all these people before me didn't start to create it, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's like, it's our responsibility to make it come true at this point. We're just at such a, such an important time to shift into our responsibility to actually create a better future in whatever ways we can to, you know, obviously like not one person can like change the world completely. I really enjoy having conversations like this. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show because like this, you know, it's like, okay, I have a very niche art history podcast. Like how can I use this weird little platform to maybe make some people see a better future? Like what's the little thing that I could possibly do? And I feel like Mm -hmm. if everyone is asking, okay, what's the one little thing I can possibly do? Well, then what do we have? We have massive change. Yeah. And I like, like, like what you've said um, and also demonstrated, it really is, you know, starting from the self, which is, you know, so corny, you know, going back to like Michael Jackson's song, like, man in the mirror and all of that but (laughs) but really and truly it really is like you know looking at you know the person in the mirror and I feel like this even you know beyond running this Instagram account and what I hope for it to grow into it's like a a network of anti-colonial art workers but beyond that for myself confronting the the ways that I need to change like we talk about the aspirations that we need to let go of Mm-hmm. And the like, what is this the future that I'm trying to to create? What kind of 
also person do I need to be to allow for and facilitate it to happen and I've been thinking a lot about a lot about like the inherent value that everybody has and how capitalism colonialism racism it, all these sort of isms are about deciding who is who does and does not have value who doesn't is not deserving mm-hmm. of being a human of being um, treated with care and with love and in my own personal day-to-day life how how have I like internalized that? Like, who do I think that I need to listen to? Who, who, yeah, who do I value and what do I value? And mm-hmm. how can that be like the first step to opening up a decolonized, not just our world, but world? I feel like that also makes it less daunting where it's like, okay, well, the power that I, that I do have in this huge world with all these systems is I can move. I can move a certain way. I can move with, I can embody the world that I want to see and that already exists in my like, community. Definitely. Yeah. The concept that, yeah, it all starts with internal work and the self. Just just speaking from my personal experience, just being like a white girl that's trying to navigate these things and, and really deconstruct all the ways in which this system has built my ego, you know, Mm. like built the things that I, I value. And, and then at the exact same time, there's that part that's like, forget all that, like, you need to be doing these very clear cut, actionable things, which do also need to be done. Like the actionable things are are very important. But the inner work takes time. And it takes and it takes like silence. And it takes like sitting with yourself. And it takes assessment. And it takes like, it. it's not something that you can just like fully, like break free of in one fell swoop and like and it's also not something that you can break free of just by like going to a protest either you know like going to protests is great but like also just because you went to a protest doesn't mean that you're necessarily working on decolonizing the ways in which you think and the in the ways in which you value certain things and I've been thinking just a lot about like this project and like the art history babes and how we've developed over time and there have definitely been times where I think we made decisions against the system and then there have also been times where just simple things where like we were still trying to be a part of the system right exactly like what you just said about like still kind of dreaming about being invited to a certain art show or being invited to a certain museum or whatever and not that those things are necessarily awful Mm -hmm. by any means but like why is that the goal Mm -hmm. like why like that shouldn't be the goal because that's not actually where my values lie but but yeah that ego that ego is saying like you want to be an important person in this important institution and all the and the only reason we think these things are important is because the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy told us they were important Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yes, and I really, really loved that you mentioned ego. And I remember one of the first posts on Decolonize the Art World was a contribution. There's this like newsletter called The Moon Times, ran by an artist, Mosaic Eye, and um, they had done a theme. Well, they talk very often about decolonizing 
creativity. But they had had a guest writer called Lakshmi Nair, who wrote about how colonization is ego run amok. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about that even with like decolonizing the art world and managing what I am now describing as like ego stress. Like I, I think a lot about my my presence and my like how I'm you know interacting like with different isms and what I've internalized and and just like also like even in facilitating, even in having these conversations. Just not wanting to be, wanting to be aware of like the the the, the ego mm-hmm. and how how that can be used. And that goes back to the exception exceptionalism thing. How that can be used, how that can play out. Yeah, I just really love that you you mentioned ego and the role that it has to do with with all of this. And yeah, a lot links back to ego and yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I I really like that phrasing, like that colonialism is ego run amok. Yeah, that sums it up perfectly. Because yeah, obviously, we all have an ego. And like, having an ego isn't necessary. Like, that's not wrong. But if you're working from your ego 24 seven, which I think our system has programmed us to do. Yeah, you're you're not really in touch with your actual like, spirit anymore and then you're less in touch with other people and your ego could just have you on autopilot like going after a certain goal and that doesn't mean that in trying to achieve that goal that you're like maliciously trying to hurt other people but that also doesn't mean that you didn't accidentally, you know, say something that was not inclusive of someone. That doesn't mean that you didn't accidentally just ignore someone's feelings or, you know what I mean? Like there's just all these little things that I think when we're in full ego mode, you just don't see it as clearly. And then when you start doing this work, like... (laughs) Like your ego is basically getting punched in the face over and over again because it needs to like it needs to like learn to sit back like it just needs to like sit back and like it doesn't mean it needs to go away. Ultimately, yeah, these systems uh, were just built to be so goal oriented to like as a way to determine our worth and And this kind of goes back to what you're saying, too, in terms of in like art institutions, you know, being like, oh, okay, so what we need to do now is we need to hire more black people to make our art institution look better. Like, what is that ultimately, though? That's to make like you're still working from the ego, like that's to make your art institution look better. Now, if that's the place that that action's coming from, that's still like ego driven and you don't really see like the harm that could be happening there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. What I'm really enjoying about this conversation is I feel like we're kind of just like working through some stuff, but I don't have a single answer. I have no answers for anyone. (laughs) And I don't want to claim to. I'm just kind of, you know, uh, 
talking about my feelings at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like that is that is okay because also so much of so much of this is stuff that needs to be to work through. And and this you know this conversation itself to me is is school and how I understand school and how I understand learning and studies is, is working through things in in all of these all of these ways and also being open to learning and, and working through things in other ways outside of school, outside of what we know as school. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I tend to get a lot more out of conversation with people than I necessarily do just, you know, reading textbooks or like being lectured to conversation is it's more of a dynamic thing like it's it's moving it's like breathing you know Mm -hmm. Um, whereas textbooks and like lecturing like a lot of the education system and schooling and things has kind of been built on this like I fill your head with information and you take that information and it's very um concrete and and very static whereas conversation is is just a completely different thing it's it's a it's an interaction and and it is both intellectual and emotional which i think is very important to the learning process so yeah i mean i'm i'm all for like an entirely like new reimagining of the school system as just like people having conversations yes <laughs> Oh, I did want to ask you a question about you talked about how in school you kind of created your own program because mm-hmm. art history is very archaic in the way it's taught in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Would you would you maybe talk a little bit more about that and just like the value of interdisciplinary studies? Yes. So I I I love sort of thinking in the the broad I love being able to to know things and see things. I, I, I before this, we we're talking about astrology and, um, you know, I'm a Pisces, but also have I'm a not, okay. moon. <laughs> not to interrupt you, but literally as you started that sentence and you're talking about like, you like to think broadly and stuff. I was like, yeah, cause you're a Pisces. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah. went, I went straight to astrology because yeah, my like Scorpio, like we're water signs. We love the Absolutely. depth. Like we just want to go deep. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I have a Pisces sun, Scorpio moon, Mercury and Aquarius. But my mind is always blown when I, I am able to see, understand something in another context and be like, oh, wow, this is this is how it manifests. This is how like creative economies and, and colonialism like manifest in Accra, but this is how it also manifests in Brazil. And it's also wild. And for that reason, I really value interdisciplinary studies. And I really struggled with... Um, Prior to college, I I was going to school in Ghana, but under the British, well, my my first two schools were like the British education system, um, and even sort of like public schools in Ghana, we sort of have inherited this colonial education system, which is British. But um, my high school was like a Swiss school. Either way, the even like sort of what is is study, what is like what are disciplines? It's like this is history, this is economics. This mm-hmm. is art and not really, but that's not how we live. Yeah. So that doesn't also make any sense. And when I came into college, I was studying political science and I had it in my head that I was going to be a diplomat. Also because I just, I mean, it just felt like, you know, what else? It was, it was, a, it was a common thing. If you, if you like to read, 
in my sort of Ghanaian context, you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be like a diplomat. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. But then I took a political science class uh, and I was like, mm, this is, I don't really value this lens. I think that was my takeaway. I was like, I don't really value this lens. And I had also started on the side because that was my interest before I got it in my head that I needed to do something uh, serious. Growing up, I wanted to be an actress. I was always super into film and literature and all of these things. So in, in college, I would was on the side, like taking film classes and literature classes. And I took a film class called Visualizing, uh, what I thought was going to be a film class called Visualizing Colonialism. But it actually ended up being a visual studies class. And so we were looking at not just film, but also cartography and art history and just visual culture at large. And for me, having not grown up going to art museums, I just art was not like a, a language that I felt comfortable like interpreting or yeah. like or engaging. But having the the way that it was framed in in that class, the, the way that that professor Professor Rastaga framed visual culture and I was able to come to it from colonialism studies it, it really unlocked something for me and so this was yeah this was sophomore sophomore spring so I, I had one semester left to declare my major and I realized mm, definitely not doing <laughs> political science <laughs> but I also don't want to do our history per se because I was looking at the requirements and I was like uh, oh, that's not really the angle that I'm going for and there was the option to create your own major, um, propose, like propose what you wanted to to do. And there was also a, a program called International Literary and Visual Studies, which in and of itself doesn't really mean anything, but it it, it allows students to yeah propose what in that you wanted to like focus on. Mm-hmm. And so I that I wanted to combine art history, film, and literature and look specifically at Black cultural production and the way that it Black cultural production across the diaspora interacted with itself and just like a different canon. And I made the argument that studying our history itself, a film itself, or literature itself in the departments that we had wouldn't allow me to do this from um, the canon or like the, the lineage that I was trying to situate my study in. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about that program was that it was also flexible so later on in junior year, when I got really obsessed with the history of museums and the way that it was inscribed into like exhibition architecture, I was able to change the title to comparative curatorial approaches and exhibition architecture and focus my study more on these histories of the institutional histories and how that is upheld in the structures themselves physically, as well as the way that culture and cultural production is organized in them, how art is curated, like who is employed, who isn't employed. And I, that, that's something I continue to do afterwards because it definitely can't be limited to, to four years. But it's, it's something I think about even what, what our history itself is. And still at the end of the day, when it came to like writing a thesis, for example, I had to pick a professor in one of these disciplines and there happened to only be one art history professor who was also white and from Germany. And then again, I, I, I was confronted with, oh, wow, like I'm having to 
explain myself. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I'm against rigor or you know backing up your argument, but not just make my argument, but also build the whole house around it as well. Yeah. And yeah. present that as valid. I'm having to do this as a college senior. <laughs> like it's just not mm-hmm. to be able to like write a thesis program and yeah, but th- that's why I value the nature of interdisciplinary studies and also just because I feel like I, I read something the other day. It was about about art history because uh, that's one of the channels currently on Decolonize the Art World's arena, like exploring what even art history is. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a, like a, an open call for an experimental art school in, in Lagos. And the description of it was, I'm paraphrasing, but basically saying that they were understanding art history not as like art history, but the history of the world as constructed by artists. And that really unlocked something in my brain when I read it. Because I was like, yes, that's that's what I was trying to point to, even with creating my own major. I was like, I'm not, it's like, what even is art history, but more so what is like history of the world constructed by artists. And that's not really different from political science or any of these things. It's just a different lens. And mm-hmm. it also then opens up you, like not just, thinking of our history in terms of painting or, or visual paintings and sculpture and what we know as visual art, but also then like film and literature and even what people were eating at the time mm-hmm. and the, like different cultural rituals. How does that like play into what the world has been and what the world is now? I'm like, like doing like a little almost like happy dance. Like that's, that makes me so excited. Like I love Everything about the idea of the study of art history just becoming something almost completely different than what it is now, because like mm-hmm. this idea of it's more than just visual art. It's not just painting and sculpture. There are ways in which humans create art in their lives in like so many different facets down to just like you said, like the food that they eat. And there are ways that all of these things represent different cultures and different just ways of living throughout history. And I was attracted to art history. Similarly, like I didn't, I didn't grow up going to art museums. No one in my family has an art background. Like this was something I found entirely on my own. And I found it because I liked the idea of making sense of the world and of society through artistic production. Mm-hmm. And I liked it better than the way like typical history classes were taught. But but then, yeah, it the way art history was built as a discipline and the and the art that was chosen as important to talk about is telling like a very specific story. And I, I don't know, I in my studies, I always felt myself wanting to reach outside of what I was being taught while still enjoying what I was being taught. But like wanting to reach into other realms like an undergrad I actually changed my undergrad major eight times <laughs> I feel that I I really struggled with this idea of like you need to focus on one subject and you need to be really good at that one thing and this is what you are now <laughs> you know? yeah 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 definitely and I, yeah, I, I feel the same about still still not wanting to be 
still not wanting to be like sort of disciplinary. I'm I'm also just the kind of person I am, just like really interested in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also be, in the context of our history, how then that makes space for other forms of art and especially sort of like being Ghanaian and like if I was just understanding Ghana's arts in terms of painting and sculpture I would be missing so 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 much and that was part of studying comparative exhibition architecture I was like okay well I, I get I get that this idea that you must go into these this room with four walls to engage with art and it may seem as though I I don't know anything about art because I didn't grow up sort of doing that, but I did grow up going to festivals and I did grow up mm-hmm. like going to like m- my, my parents are quite religious, like even like, you know, black churches and these spaces where culture is made and, you know, there's music and there's dance and there's participatory engagement. And that too is a form of like cultural engagement. Those two are, that too is like a cultural space that I feel like it's like helpful to, to study and understand because even even painting and sculpture does not exist in a vacuum it's like yeah, yeah. It's, it's tied to the people and and how artists were like living at that time or are living now oh yeah even like i'm also really interested in, in fashion as like wearable like wearable art all these things that i wish i would have seen more in like my art history courses to allow for history of the world as constructed by artists not just like who is considered an artist and who is what is considered arts and and mm-hmm. those narrow definitions and like what is more stifling to the creative spirit than like having to live up to someone else's definition of what is considered art <laughs> <laughs> like mm. I feel like that is just the word like and yet we've been doing it for so long in the way like art schools are sometimes structured and and obviously that's a generalization it's not always like that but this idea that that being an artist means a very specific thing I think all humans are creative beings but we're like told from from a really young age that like certain people are artists and if you believe that from like a young age that like only certain people are artists well then maybe you'll be less likely to use your creativity in the Mm -hmm. future because whatever you like to do or whatever you like to make or whatever doesn't fall into painting and sculpture doesn't fall into what's considered art yeah yeah it's definitely like a shift that I feel needs to happen and is happening because even that view of art history itself like constricts our imaginations mm-hmm. and our ability to put like I um I remember reading an exhibition text not long ago talking about this um contemporary Ghanaian artist show and it was putting his work in the context of French impressionism and I was like, this to me is, is one of the failures of our history is that you're searching far and wide because you're trying to put him in a lineage. Mm-hmm. And because of the limitations of our history, are having to resort to 19th century French oppression when you really don't have to do all of that. Like you could, <laughs> you could also put him into the context of the music that is being made right now in Ghana and, and like the, the films that are being made right now. Why it is that like this young, like 25 year old painter is making this kind of work, but then because of the limitation of our history, it's, it's like scrambling to, and, and also because of how European that canon is, scrambling to, um, when talking about 
black artists now putting it, it in this like um, framing it in this way. Mm-hmm. It also helps with I I think even the, the the work of the art historian like making it fuller. Definitely, 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 definitely. Before we wrap up, can you just kind of share how people can either get involved or support the work that you're doing? Yes, so definitely following the Instagram, so at Decolonize the Art World. That's also our username on Arena. And in terms of contributing as well, our email is decolonizeartworld at gmail.com or by DMing, by DMing the page. The contribution guidelines are also on the Instagram, like always open to collaborations, always opening to, again, it's, it's the first month, but thinking through how to sustainably build this network of anti-colonial art workers, cultural workers. And yeah, I will be sort of developing other ways of supporting. Oh, something that I didn't mention, that I should, I should have mentioned before. So actually decolonizing our world is a is a project under an, an studio an art studio called Accra studio Accra is the is the tree word which is a, a language spoken in in Ghana for soul and that's tying back to the idea of the not just um a can like indigenous cultural thought but other african indigenous cultural um thought is this idea of the creative of of creativity being something channeled mm. and so the artist as a almost as a mouthpiece which is very different from in this capitalist mm-hmm. our world where it's like the artist individual as like this like specific talent in the like indigenous um akan thought the artist is a mouthpiece and sort of like a receiver of divine knowledge and is then breaking that down mm. into to culture for the benefit of the community and so Accra which is a hyphen K-R-A studio is a studio that I founded about a year ago and there's also like a residency program under that for for Ghanaian artists which is like in development but Decolonize Award is a, a program under that so you can also support Accra Studio for, by following us on Instagram at across studio and um yeah i love that so much a a huge interest to me honestly i think it's probably if i had to say like my core attraction to art history and like my core passion with art is just like the connection between art and spirituality Mm. so i really i really love that a lot i'm also like i'm kind of like kind of like getting really emotional i don't know if it's like the full moon or like what's going on (laughs) But like this is really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for being here. This is such a great conversation. Thank you. Yes, everyone, go follow decolonize the art world. This was just this was just a a, a really nice way to spend a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Absolutely, Saturday evening for me. So I the, I can actually see the moon. Oh, can you really? Away, I am. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely, I'm going to go outside after this. But thank you so much for holding space for this conversation. And even, I think it's also a beautiful thing to have a conversation about the work that you're like, the work that I'm trying to do, because in a way I feel like it's it's affirming to know that like someone also takes it seriously enough to like engage me mm-hmm. on it. 
So I really like thank you for that as well. I mean, same here. Like I, I feel the exact same way. I, yeah, I've just been really excited by the stuff I've seen you doing. And I was very excited that you were interested in just, you know, hanging out with me on a Saturday and talking to me about it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm really excited to see how it continues to develop and grow. I think, yeah, it's just a really great thing. And yeah, we'll have all of Yaz's information in the show notes for for everybody so be sure to check it out and have a have a wonderful evening enjoy the moon thank you and hopefully we'll talk again sometime soon yes yes take care See ya.